Welcome to season two of the Pines and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. This show understands that there is quite a bit of diversity amongst the body of Christ. So we operate according to the motto that certain things are fixed, like the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lovers? What up? How we doing? It is good to be back drinking beer with you guys. It's been a minute. Always. Um... And it's good that we're coming back with Two Clown Shoes, one of our favorite breweries. Two Clown Shoes. Um, so, Cullen's actually got a real interesting one. Yeah, we'll do mine second because I do have such an interesting one, and we can't find a ton of information about yours. Yeah, mine's a limited release. I can't find it on their website. Um, and because HEB puts these stupid stickers on, you can't ever get off. I'm missing a part of the lore here. Um, but something about, so mine is called the good, the bad, and the unidragon. It's a Russian Imperial and it's something, something, something of Blakehorn unidragon, uh, using smoked malts sourced from our friends at Blacklands malt in Texas. Interesting. Um, attitude sourced from the burning pit of a bad tempered spirit. And righteous fury from the hand cannons of the good. As you sit down to a glass, remember there are two types of people: those who drink unidragons and those who, and those whose ashes drift in the breeze. If you know, if you if you've been around this podcast for a while and you've seen us do clown shoes, one of our favorite things about clown shoes is the stories that they tell with their beer. Um, and if you are familiar with the Clint Eastwood movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yeah. That's the play here. Yeah. They they do have great lore and storytelling, which makes sense why I love their brand uh, for me personally. Um, and the beer I have actually just made it all the better for me. So I have something really cool. It's called The Flight to Bolivia. It's from Clown Shoes, but it's a part of the Kung Fu Ballet series. And honestly, I'm not sure exactly what this means because I don't have all of it. Their website's not totally up to date. But basically what I understand is that it's a story that they have chosen to tell through a series of releases, all barrel-aged, barrel-aged releases, and they're barrel-aged and everything from stouts to IPAs. Yep. And they're barrel-aged and everything. And they're telling this story all the way across these releases across a year and their website only has up through chapter three. The back of my can says chapter five. So clown shoes. I love what you're doing, but I need you to update your website homeboy, uh, please. But so this is the flight to Bolivia. It's an old ale aged in whistle pig rye and ex Bordeaux barrels. Yeah. Which if you know anything about my alcoholic palate, you could not scream more, that's Cullen. Except the fact that it's a barrel-aged beer. Except that it's a barrel-aged beer and that it's a stout. I don't hate stouts. I drink stouts. They're not my go-to style of beer. It's just too hot in Texas most of the time. Yeah. Uh, especially down here in southeast Texas. But, yeah, it's just too hot most of the time. But anyways, yeah, 
I love rye whiskey, and if I'm going to drink wine, it's Bordeaux is my favorite. Um, it's more than a it's more than a pint. It's yep. one pint, three point two ounces. Drink responsibly, kids. Um, it's eleven percent ABV. Yep. Drink responsibly, kids. Here's the lore I have about it. Fly to Bolivia or fly to Morocco. Master Clown Shoes was told. One place shelters an ancient Shaolin relic that will aid in the correction of the imbalances that have plagued him. The other place holds nothing but despair. But which is which? Here we see the master, a choice arrived at, as he guides a recently acquired mythological owl on a momentous flight to South America. Love it. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, man. Yeah, mine's just a really good stout. Oh. Yeah, this is a really good stout. Golly, mine is not. Um, it's very good. Mm. It's not a normal stout. Mm. <clears throat> Yeah, mine is straight up quintessential stout territory. Like, you should think Guinness Extra Stout. Like, almost perfect. Oh, really? Yeah, it's really good um, for what it's doing. 6.5. Really good for what it's doing. I don't know how to rank mine. Um, Keep in mind, I'm not really a stout person. So, and I'm not really a barrel-aged person. I mean, I am a stout person, but not really. Um, I think I want to rate it higher because it's clown shoes. Right. And I think I want to rate it higher because of the lore and the the Kung Fu series and stuff. Um, I'm going to try to just rate the beer. Talk me through what you're smelling on it. Because, like, there's a lot of things happening there. Yeah, I think it has all the, like, normal in-your-face stout flavors that you would, like, think of. It also has that, like, high-potency alcohol flavor that normally comes with barrel-aged, which is the flavor I don't really love. I think the only reason that I'm okay with it in this one, I'm not sure how it... It's working, but it is. It's like a black currant flavor attached mm. to it from the Bordeaux barrels. Yeah, it would have to be the, the Bordeaux. Um, while also having like a spicy rye flavor at the end. That seems very interesting. It is interesting, and that's why I don't know how to rate it. I want to rate it really high for creativity. I think I'm going to rate it. I think I'm gonna rate it at like a seven one. I think it's okay. an ab- I think it's a more than above average beer. So average beer for me is six eight. Yeah. I think it's significantly better than that. Um we'll see how I feel as we continue with the episode and as I drink more of it. Okay. Let's talk about humans. Let's talk about humans. Of which create really good stories. Uh, clearly. <laughs> um and really good beer. And really good beer. So, 
We're doing theological anthropology. Yep. Clayton, what makes up a person? Oh, God. Yes, Jesus. It seems like mind, body, and spirit. It's all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Or, yeah. So, heart, mind, and... and uh, What did I just say? All your mind, all your heart, all your soul, and or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. That exchange with the, the expert in the law, as Luke's gospel uh, yeah. says it, uh, also includes strength. Yeah. Uh, which is not in Deuteronomy, where he's supposedly quoting from. Um, so, yeah, there is that. But, yeah, so mind, body... Soul. Soul. Spirit. Whatever. However you want to interpret that. Yeah. Okay. Those are all immaterial pieces. Mm -hmm. Do you have a body? Sure. Okay. Of course you do. So how many pieces make up a human? At least four. At least four. At least four. So you got body, Mm. mind, Mm. spirit, soul. Yeah. So you think there are four, four pieces to the human? Yeah, as as I sit right now, yeah. How do mind and spirit and soul play together? What's their crossover? What's not their crossover in the way you make it up? So, heart feels very emotional. Um, all the things that okay that that drive your emotions. So, is that your body, or is that your spirit, your mind, or your soul? Your heart. Where are okay, you so I'm defining each individual piece, and I'm going to go back and talk about how they interconnect. Okay. Well, first, before you do that, tell me where the heart is. What is the heart? Is that part of the body, the mind, the spirit, or the soul? So if you ask a doctor, I I'm mean, not, like, I'm asking you. Are yeah. You, the person. Heart, the way that I interpret what Jesus is calling the heart, um, would connect equally to mind and soul spirit whatever um would connect equally because i think i think all these things work together in one big kind of chain um if that makes sense did you read the book i did not okay so i'm just kind of like you asked me my opinions and so these are my raw thoughts um i think that they all kind of work in a chain together Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The heart plays into the mind, and the mind plays into the soul, and all these things are connected. Oh, to so the you think they're in a circle pattern? Kind of. You don't think they're interpenetrating one another? What would you call interpenetrating? So the heart is impacting the spirit, the soul, and the mind. You're mm-hmm. saying the heart impacts the mind, the mind impacts spirit, spirit impacts soul. Yeah, something like that. Okay, got it. Um,. Honestly, I don't know how many pieces make up a soul. I mean, I don't know how many pieces make up a person. Yeah. Who um, who knows? The Bible is not clear on it. Not at all. Let's be clear. Certain authors of the Bible are clear about how they think about it. Yep. But even Paul at times seems to use multiple different metaphors yep. to talk about it. So this is not an easy conversation. Um, what we can say with absolute certainty, the Bible is convinced that you are made up of material and immaterial elements. Done. That. Enough said. Same team. Excuse me. 
This is what Ben and Randy say. While we can see a basic distinction between the material and immaterial parts of the person, the wide and diverse use of terms makes coming to a neat, systematic perspective on human components difficult. This is another reason why I don't affirm inerrancy. Mm. Like, if this thing, we wouldn't have things like this. We wouldn't have, quote-unquote, difficult components if it were without error. One of these people are wrong. Yeah. That's just how it is. But I think what Ben and Randy are pointing out is that because this is something that we really don't know, and this is a lot of the faith elements, and we're trying to put this stuff together, we're trying to figure it out. But I do think it's important to note, they 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 have this paragraph here. While the term body seems pretty straightforward, the majority of biblical terms are much harder to pin down. Flesh, for instance, relates to the body, but also speaks to bodily appetites. On top of that, the Bible has a variety of internally focused terms such as soul, spirit, heart, mind, will, and conscience. These distinct parts, overlapping parts, or simply different words for the same thing. That, what do you think? Are they different parts or are they simply synonyms for the same thing that we could just call the immaterial person? Sure. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, who know, who really knows if we're being honest here? Um, they could be distinct parts that have their own individual roles. They could be overlapping or they could be synonyms of one another. I, I, I genuinely don't know. The way that I've always interpreted that text is they were different things and all like interconnected. <clears throat> but I don't actually know. I think that's probably how, well, you can think of them however you want. Sure. So I think here's how most people think of the difference. Okay. Um, your body is what you can see. Right. Your heart is what you feel. Mm. Your spirit is what you're conscious of, like conscious of in like a, not in like a, um, not in like a your mind way. Your mind is the things you think, but your spirit is the things that you don't feel, but like you just know them in your spirit. What the way that I would communicate that is, well, see, even that's not a great way to communicate it, but like your connection to godness. Uh, no, people would say that's your soul. The average person would say your connectedness to godness is through your soul, not your spirit. So what's the difference between a soul and a spirit? So I'm trying to tell you, um, your soul would be, I think the way that most people think about the soul is the soul is the, if you were going to do this in a really broken down element, the soul is the piece of you that most closely relates to the divine. Okay. Um, your spirit is... That thing where you know how like when you're infatuated with a new dating relationship, you feel it like and it's like it's totally a heart thing. It's giddy. It's butterfly. It's fun. Yeah, sure. Okay. That's feeling. Yeah. 
You know how there's a difference when you say, hey, this is real important and I feel it in my spirit? Like, I don't feel it as an emotion. I know it in my person. It's like a... a it's like a drive. No. Let me try to think of another way to explain this. It's like a discernment. Spirit is, spirit is whatever you have... Now I'm trying to explain it in the way that I think you would make it up, but that's not what I'm trying to do. Spirit is the placeholder for whatever you have that you're replacing the Holy Spirit with until you get your full revelation of it. Spirit is like a cognizance that's not a mental cognizance, but it's absolutely a faculty in which you make decisions on Is that not what a connection to godness would be? If it's your connection to the you, spirit? Only if you had the fullness of said spirit. So I mean, if then, not, it's the disconnection of, of godness. Sure. See why this is a difficult conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Because okay. like the soul and the spirit, this is something that I've always been really confused on. And... I kind of gave up on trying to def- like talk about these things as two separate things a long time ago. I kind of just started using soul and spirit synonymously. A lot of people do. Yeah, I started doing do. that a long time ago because I was like, this is way too complicated. And they're very different words, but they're kind of communicating the same thing. So yeah. like, let's just do this. Most of Christendom <clears throat> is Platonism with some Jesus sprinkled on it. Sure. And so because of that, I think most of our theological anthropology is made up through Platonic uh, systems. Yep. If you didn't know, my master's thesis is on Clement of Alexandria, who was a massive student of Platon of Plato and Platonism. And my master's thesis is actually on theological anthropology, kind of, not really. My master's thesis is on the way in which pursuit of divine likeness requires the body. And so in order to make that argument, I had to do a lot with theological anthropology. Um, Plato believed in something called the tripartite soul. Right. Do you vaguely remember, but keep talking and I'll remember. The tripartite soul was Plato's belief that anything that breathed had a soul. Right. The question was the part of the soul they were in. So I don't remember. It's been like six years. But the tripartite soul is a three-part soul. Humanity is the epitome of soulness. And the bottom tier is plants. Mm -hmm. The middle tier is animals. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything that breathes has an experience of the soul. And for Plato, the soul is what gives something the capacity to be redeemed Mm. or to experience the forms, experience perfection. Right. Um, It is the soul that gives that the option. So do dogs go to heaven? Plato would say yes. Dogs absolutely will be in the forms. There is a dog in the forms. Um. 
There is a perfect version of everything for Plato. Correct. And so, excuse me, everything that has a soul breathes, and everything that breathes can be redeemed. Right. That. That's probably how most people think about theological anthropology. The body, it's kind of around, we look at it, but honestly, most Americans have a really unhealthy relationship with their body because social media, Instagram, all the things, trying to put our best foot forward, trying to be great for everyone, all the nonsense. Because of all this, we don't have great relationships with our body. So Christians are happy to go, yeah, I'll give this away and my spirit will go up and we'll just be with Jesus. Yeah, It's really probably not the way we should think about theological anthropology. We should really think of you as God wanted you made in a certain way and uh, God chose to make you in said way in Genesis chapter 1. Right. We shouldn't try to change that. In like his own that, image. In their own image. Or, yeah. I, it is. It, I am trying. Okay. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. Um, Same team. There are three main ways. Because of this, because there's no real rhyme or reason necessarily of how to make this up, the church has been pretty fluid in this. Yeah. There's really not a lot of councils that deal with this issue. No. Chalcedon may be in the way that they make up Jesus, but that's really it. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, apologies. The camera just died. I just saw it. Um, so there won't be any footage for the rest of the time. But... We're almost done. You have three main ways that the church has made these things up. You have the dichotomy, the trichotomy, or the holism, the irreducible parts. Um, Dichotomy is the most simplistic of ideas, that you have body and soul, material, Mm. immaterial. Um, in this construct, which this is why I say, even Paul himself seems to have, um, two differing opinions because their scriptural reference for the dichotomy is second Corinthians four. It's a very famous text. Um, a lot of study has been done on this text in theological anthropology. Yep. They're also right. In that metaphor that Paul chooses to use in 2 Corinthians 4, it is a dichotomy. It is only body and soul. Your mind and your spirit are not a part of Paul's conversation. Not not having that conversation. Yeah. It's just those two. That is how I think most people probably make it up. Sure. There's an immaterial piece of you. There's a material piece of you. For the material piece, we call it body. For the immaterial piece, we call it soul. Right. Honestly, it's probably not that simple. For simplicity's sake, I'm glad that metaphor is there. It's probably not that simple. Yeah. Trichotomy. This is the one that I think most... Um, this is the one that I've heard communicated the most, I think. Well, that's because you grew up in fundamentalism. That's yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of the point that I was trying to get at. Well, that's the point I was trying to make. I just couldn't figure out how I wanted to say that. Um But yes. In in this white American the, evangelicalism, this is the well, one that is no, most. No, not even necessarily white 
evangelical. This is unique to fundamentalism. The way in which fundamentalism prioritizes the Bible and what the Bible says predominantly makes this unique to them, um, specifically the fundamentalists. White evangelicalism in mass, I think, would be a dichotomy. Okay. It's fundamentalism. Interesting. Because of the necessity to be right and the Bible to be the proof of rightness, mm-hmm. that they are trichotomy. Trichotomy, the only difference is they add the spirit. Um, Which trying to differentiate soul and spirit, as we just It's the hardest about, one. Y- damn near feels like it's impossible. I'm not sure how you do it. Um, if I can be real honest, I'm really not sure how you do it. Um, when it's so hard for me because I I reject all of this way of thinking. You are a person. Yeah. How do we? T- how do you talk about it in socio in uh, in social work or in psychology? You are a whole integrated person. Absolutely. You are a whole person that feels all the things. Why are we trying to reduce us down to our parts? Yeah. Oh, we're not. Holism is basically that. You are a person, and there are obviously parts of you that we can identify and we can define, like your body. Clayton, I know. Give give me your finger. Is that a little uncomfortable? Yeah, it didn't feel great. Yeah, I know because if so, I impact... So, listeners, he flicked my finger. I, I flicked his finger. I know that you, as a person like me, made up similar to me, that if I apply pressure in one place on your body, that will cause pain. Yeah. That means that's your body. Yeah. I also know that if you want to tap your foot or move your foot like you're doing right now, yep. that your mind is telling your body to do that. Yep. And I know that's somehow integrated. Yep, you can move. I also can. know that you have some immaterial element in you that you are constantly in conversation with about the way in which the inner parts of you are processing what the outer parts of you are doing and the exactly. way in which you are trying to connect with the divine in the process of doing that. Exactly. You get anxiety. Some people start like twitching and start tapping their foot really quickly. Like, there's all these things. Like, you are a whole person that feels all the things. You are an integrated whole person. Yeah. You're an integrated whole person. There's no there's no doubt in my mind. Each and every one of us are an integrated whole person. And the reason mm-hmm. that I think this is important, and I'm putting the book down. I'm about to get a little preachy for the next, like, two and a half minutes, and we're going to be done. Um You are a whole integrated person made in the image and likeness of God, beloved by God, just the way you are. But also, we understand that the world is hard and there are things that you want to change about yourself. Care if you want to change your hair color. Like, I don't care if you want to change things about yourself. Life's hard. But what I am saying is. You are a whole integrated person made in the image of God and beloved by God. Your person is not in combat with itself over your redemption. Yep. You are living in a corrupted existence. And so you have obstacles in between the way that your body, this God given body, this 
made in the image of God body that you have, this person that you have, there are elements that um, you have desires and things that were put there. And because we have a corrupted world that we exist in now, sometimes I want to express those desires in unhealthy or inappropriate ways. That does not mean the desire was bad. That does not mean that what I felt was wrong. Mm. What it means is that corruption, the experiences of death, have tainted the way in which I'm viewing that said need and yeah. desire. Mm. Your body is not working against you. You are not fighting a losing battle against your body while your soul is trying to ascend to God. You are a person made exactly the way you need to be made with all the tools that you have to discern the voice of the divine while also being a person of divine intervention in your own way. You have been equipped with said spirit and soul and mind and body to do all of the work of divinity, to make this place better, to do the things that Jesus would do. That is what being a human is about. That is what all of this is about. Paul chose to use metaphors like your flesh causing you to sin. Is that the only thing that causes you to sin? No, because the Gospels told me the devil tempted, tempted Jesus. Yeah. So my body is not the only way in which I do it. Yet, a lot of conservatives have told you that your body is the problem because it's the primary um, expression of your sexual desires, right. which they are afraid of. I can't tell you how many times I've heard sermons preached. Sorry to cut you off. I can't tell you how many times I've heard sermons preached over Paul's thorn in his side and they are like assuming that it's like sexual desire. Like it's a woman. Yeah. Like he's lusting. Like it's some sort of sexual desire. Like that's so stupid. It's so asinine. So stupid. To that, make that just, assumption about that text. That's as bad as saying that the fruit that Adam and Eve ate was having sex. Golly, <laughs> you just really didn't read the darn book. You just really didn't read the stupid book. It's not a stupid book. It's an authoritative book that we honestly live our lives by. It's stupid if you make up that narrative about it. <laughs> it is stupid if you make up that narrative about it. But you didn't read the darn thing. Didn't read the darn thing. <laughs> Here's the deal, friends. Um, the Bible's not clear on it. No. Tradition really hasn't had much to say about it other than to affirm that Jesus was whatever we are. In, yeah. his, in, in his own way, while somehow also being divine in a way that we're not, yeah. until glorification. Yeah, the church affirmed that Jesus was what we are in some way, while also being what God is. But outside yeah. of that, the church really, there's no real rules in this. This is where you have liberty. We're going to eventually, now, I bring this up because it will, whatever you do with theological anthropology, it will matter as you continue to build your theological system because what you do with your theological anthropology will determine what you do with your eschatology. Yep. If if the goal of the Christian life is to float away and go to heaven through like some version of rapture theology, well, just by nature, you're going to have a piss-poor resurrection theology because mm. you don't need the body. Yeah. You don't need the body. I mean, that. That's something that we've talked about on here before. 
um, that is that we have talked about very clearly, and this is our opinion, that's escapism and it's problematic. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I absolutely feel that way. Yeah. And I've been very vocal about that my entire career that I feel that way. <laughs> yeah. And you are the one that opened my eyes to this, actually. <laughs> that doesn't shock me, but because I don't know you what do. this is. So we it first started, I remember, we took students to camp, and not one of our finest moments, but we had like a whole argument oh, yeah, I remember in front of a group of students yeah. about I'll fly away. Yeah, I remember this. And I will fight. I will argue with anybody <laughs> over that song. I cannot stand that song. It, like I think it's. The, I think it. I think it summarizes everything's wrong with the church and our theology. I now think I agree with you. Back then, vehemently disagreed. Because, and and this is no no shame here. And yeah, listeners, yeah. this is for free. If you if you are tired of this conversation, we're going to end the podcast soon. This is one hundred percent for free. Um. It's because you've been emotionally manipulated by that song. Oh, absolutely. You had had intimate connection with that song because of the beauty of the story that's telling you. But what it didn't tell you explicitly, even though it says these words verbatim, from these prison bars, Mm. I'll fly away. As if your body is a prison. As if your body is a prison. That is... Damn it, that is Gnosticism. Yeah. That is heretical. Yes, it is terrible. According to church tradition. It's terrible. From these prison bars. It is poor theology. I'll fly away. And honestly, it's poor theology, and that's honestly why I, I don't really mess around with Christian music much anymore. <laughs> I know, because I can't. But yeah, it. that's one example. And yeah. honestly, oh, I'll read this. Since we're, Since we're here. Might as well. Since we're talking about Gnosticism, let's go ahead and drop this on you. Um, This is what Ben says in the book. So he's talking about the the heterodoxy of overemphasizing the the rational or the spiritual, the material or the immaterial. Mm -hmm. Gnostics are the way to do this. This is what he says. Gnostics, as we saw earlier, did this, the overemphasis, did this overemphasis by denying that the body was part of God's good creation and that it has any place in God's restoration from sin. This position is often reflected in popular Christianity. For instance, it was not uncommon for me, Ben Blackwell, to hear illustrations like this one when I was growing up. Think of yourself like an astronaut in a space suit. The real you, yeah, the real you, is on the inside, the spiritual you, and not the outside, the bodily you, you, which you will lose when you go to heaven. We talk more about the role of heaven as our hope in our chapter on eschatology, but this illustration is a functional reappropriation of the Gnostic rejection of the body. However, God cares just as much about our bodies as he does our souls. He created us with bodies, Jesus' ministry of healing and hope of resurrection show that physical restoration is essential to Christian hope. Yeah. The church doesn't have a great answer on this. The only answer they do have is, hey, your body's not bad. Yeah. Your body is not bad. 
However, because it's the Bible, I personally do not believe that we have been strong enough in saying, hey, Paul's metaphor of the flesh is not the only way you have to interpret that. Mm. There's a way to say, hey, I have an ethic, I have boundaries, I have all these things because of the way in which my body, the divine, is communicating to me. Um, and I have to decide what of those desires are appropriate and what are not. And my determination of that appropriateness is between me and Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.